Welcome to the Executive Function Podcast, where we make the invisible keys to success easy for you to teach your child. We'll go beyond theory to proven action, helping you create peace and independence at home and at school. With your host, educational author, award-winning teacher, and celebrated learning coach, Sarah Kesti. Hey team. So many of you are getting ready for college, thinking about college, maybe already in it, um, or your parents with college age-ish kids. Today, we have the lovely Crystal Rose Hill Farrell, who is the Director of Student Academic Resources at Wesleyan College. And she has a ton of great ideas about going to college and bringing a neurodiverse brain with you. So, um, Crystal Rose, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. I just want to clarify, uh, it's Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. There are a, like 11 Wesleyans in the U.S., so we get confused often. I didn't realize that. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I'm sorry. Okay. Yep. So Wesleyan West- University. Yep, in Middletown, Connecticut. Yeah, because there's like, yeah, there's Wesleyans all over. (laughs) I had no idea. I thought you were the only one. No. Well, there you go. I've already learned something. (laughs) Yeah, yep. Which is always important for, um, we get outreach from students that are attending other Wesleyan institutions because they'll search for Wesleyan academic support and they'll find our page. And so we have to then redirect them to the proper Wesleyan school. So as you're preparing for college, you always want to make sure that you're on the correct college's website when you find a phone number. (laughs) Hey, good tip. There we go. (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny. I was just making myself a note. Should I re-record how I introduce? But no, I mean, that was kind of an honest mistake. That's also a teachable moment of like, hey, Mm -hmm. there are multiple campuses. Make sure you got the right one frequent it I mean it's very often like once a month that we'll get an email or a phone call from somebody looking at for a different Wesleyan how funny I know and I guess that's that's food for thought in terms of yeah you can change your approach based on like new information but also maybe food for thought for Wesleyan for like adapting their names a little bit for differentiation who knows (laughs) Yeah, I think we're the only Wesleyan University, like just those two, but there's like Wesleyan Indiana University, you know, and so. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yes. I, they're all a little bit different, but when you just search, you know, Wesleyan, thinking it's the only one, you just have to be careful which one pops up. And it's <laughs> not unique to Wesleyan. I used to work at another college that there were several colleges and universities throughout the U.S. that had the similar name. So it is a very common, it's very common that students should watch for. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there you go. See, yeah. hot tip already. And we haven't even gotten started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. So you are a director of a um, college program supporting students with and without disabilities. And you also shared that you have a personal connection with the journeys of many of your students. hmm Do you mind telling us a little bit about your experience in college and what that taught you about your own brain? Yeah, sure. So I was a late diagnosed ADHD 
um, female identifying student. And so it's very common for um, ADHD to be late diagnosed. It's more common in females, but it does happen across the board, especially for students who are doing well and getting by. Um, but internally, there's a lot going on. But because they're doing well and getting by, it's not often caught. Also, in high school, there's a lot of structure, which does really well for ADHD. And then in college is kind of when all of those executive functions are really taxed for all college students. And so we find that a lot. And that was my experience as well. I was, you know, doing, I didn't feel internally like I was doing that well, but outwardly I was doing really well. And then I went through a series of diagnoses and medications and finally was able to connect with somebody who recognized that it was ADHD and get proper treatment um, and proper skills to start building. And so that had started with my on-campus uh, counseling office, like the counseling and psychological services office that was on my campus. And I was talking with the therapists on campus and talking about my internal struggle and different from my outward struggle. And she recommended I go get an evaluation. And so, you know, taking advantage of those campus resources for folks who are really well adept at knowing your age group and your population um, is really what started me on that um, that journey to actually figuring out, yeah, what my brain is like and um, finding a supportive person too. So I transferred a couple times. And when I um, was in my bachelor's program at Eastern uh, <clears throat> sorry, when I was in my bachelor's program at Eastern Connecticut State University, I had a fantastic mentor and faculty advisor who really maybe not outwardly knew exactly what was going on, but really helped guide me. He was also an instructor for several of my classes. And so we would have these little cues of when I started to talk too much or when I was not talking enough and um, really just gave me the freedom to explore my brain because that's hard. It's hard to explore your brain when you feel like you have all this pressure to keep up. And so um, I tried to use accommodations in college and I had a negative experience with a faculty member and knowing now what I know, wish I had sort of done it differently and talked to folks and worked through that. But at that time, I was 19 and I was like, this is, I just can't do this. This isn't for me. And so I ended up working with my mentors and my counselors, the on-campus counselors and the um, the other academic resources um, in order to sort of get get through what that was. And something that I discovered about myself was that I really liked the block classes that were like three hours, you oh. know, and I, a lot of students don't, you know, they want the shorter classes or, and um for me in my brain, once I get into something, I can stay in it. And so the shorter classes that meet for 50 minutes, three times a week were really hard for me because I would get into it and then it'd be over. 
And then I'd have to do independent learning and independent structure was hard. And so uh, that was hard for me. But a three hour class I could get into, I could engage, I could be present. And then at the end of three hours, I was jazzed about it and could continue that learning process. And so that was something that I learned about myself and embraced and then found every class that I could take in that format. And when I talk to students now, I talk to them about, you know, when you take those classes, it's more than just the course material, you know, is the room environment, is the instructor's um, canter (laughs) voice and other things that can really impact uh, your brain and, and your learning style. And that's okay. And kind of taking a moment to feel that out. So um, it was a surprise, I think, uh, that, you know, I really enjoyed the three hour block classes and, and everything. And really, once I got into work in disability services is when I really started to better understand my brain, because I was helping students while I was learning myself about myself. And so I was learning with the students. But yeah, through college, it was really accessing the resources I felt comfortable accessing. So at that time, um, and I definitely want to talk about accessing accommodations. But at that time, that's not what I was comfortable accessing. But I availed myself of the other on campus services, I was comfortable accessing in order to go at my pace at what I was comfortable with and kind of figure out what worked for me. And we have students now that are eligible for accommodations and they work uh, with us or with other offices in different ways. And so really there's no right or wrong way as long as it feels right to you. Um, And that was like the big thing that I learned um, going through my journey was, you know, I was told this was the way that you do it. And you know, you can't vote when you have ADHD, you can't focus for three hours. And I was like, but I can. And so like listening to your own self is really important. And that's, that's really my journey. It was like learning to understand myself, learning to listen to my own body and my own brain. And it's hard and it was hard and it's still hard now for me when what I know is working for me isn't quote unquote normal, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't look like what my coworkers or my peers look like. Um, and it's hard because you feel like you're not fitting in, but ultimately if you embrace, like what I have found is the more that I embrace my brain and the way my brain works is I find my people. And so that's, uh, that was sort of my college journey was just starting to discover that and start to be comfortable. The more I became comfortable with my own brain, the uh, more I started to feel comfortable in my environment and with my peers too. Cause I really struggled in high school internally with that sense of alien. Like I feel like an alien in my own skin. I hear that a lot from students too. And so the more I embraced my own brain, the more I actually felt like I was making genuine connections with others too, because I wasn't fighting against it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of sort of like, if I can tease out some themes, it's that like self-acceptance and self-awareness, like sort of parallel journey. And Mm -hmm. then that 
opened you up to be able to access more accommodations, more of like, hey, I have a brain that needs and yep. like not in an apologetic sort of like less than way, but like, hey, we all have diverse bodies and brains and mm-hmm. this is what I'm bringing to the party and here we go. Yeah. I use more accommodations now in as a employee in my work environment than I ever did in school. And I wish I knew in school what I know now, because it definitely would have made school easier. Oh, Um, (laughs) but I definitely use more accommodations now than I did before. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I can share kind of a parallel story because um, for some reason, when we talk about brain differences, because we can't physically see it, it's a little bit more nebulous and like there's room for um, people to assume that it's invented, which it is not. But there is kind of that like um, wiggle space. I don't know. We're we're working on it right together mm-hmm. in the um, awareness and advocacy movements. But um, to offer a more physical example, I have a neuromuscular disease that I've had 15 surgeries on my right foot. Um, my right foot's a size seven and a half and my left foot's a 10. So like mm-hmm. you can see it. It looks like my foot, my right foot got like run over by a lawnmower or something. Like I probably have had a thousand stitches, maybe mm. more. Um, so it's very, very clear. And, you know, I had the same sort of situation with, um, accommodations and self-acceptance where there was no way in the beginning of college I would have parked in the handicap parking, even though I very much had a placard and needed it some days because of pain. Um, I ended up actually making my own accommodation where I would leave for school at about 630 so I could get close parking, even though I could have gotten the disabled parking because I had so much shame and embarrassment about it. So absolutely. It's and it's not, you know, like I'm not angry with like 17 year old Sarah, the college Mm -hmm. student. I'm, you know, I'm glad I am where I am, but I kind of want to offer to listeners that like if you're not there yet, there's still hope to get there. I mean, absolutely. And I know I'm speaking from the other side, so it's like easy Mm -hmm. for you to say, but honestly, like I wouldn't, I didn't know how to my disability name until I was in my 20s because that's how much I avoided it. Mm-hmm. Is that wild? I mean, like, I didn't know what it like. I knew that it hurt. I knew that it was embarrassing. I knew yeah. that I had um, a ton of shame and like kept it very private. And that was about it. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's it's if you're in that space right now, just know that like there are tiny little experiments of like trying out something and seeing how others react or, and like chances are they won't even notice. Right. Which is also kind of a liberating thing. And then you've also got um, some hope to lean into where like every year you get older, you care less and less what other people think, mm-hmm. which is also amazing because then, you know, you've got this space to really take advantage of accommodations. Yeah. And it's not, it's, not even about caring and not caring about what people think, but once you embrace and, you know, accept yourself and embrace your brain and how it works, when that shows outwardly, you do find your people. So you're not trying to fit in or match people that don't match you. 
people find you that match you. We have a lot of students that we have a lot of movements now of students that are really, you know, good advocates and out there about neurodiversity and they find each other because their outward, you know, self reflects their inner self. And so you end up finding your tribe really. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a big piece of it too. And it's hard when you're 17 or 18 first entering college, it's high school is hard too, but as you're entering school and especially when you go to college, maybe even out of state and you're like, this is a fresh start and I'm going to make friends and the outward you that you try to portray to fit in, if it's not comfortable, even if you find people, you won't be comfortable. So you mm-hmm. want to be comfortable with yourself to find people that you're comfortable being yourself around, because that's really what helps you to feel comfortable in a social environment. And that also is what helps you to be a good advocate and find those places. Like I said, what, you know, I wasn't comfortable in the accommodations office, but I did utilize other resources. And so we try to help students to find that person or those resources that they are comfortable using um, and so that they feel supported and not like they're struggling by themselves too. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's such good advice in terms of just find your person. And that goes for anybody. I mean, any student, you find that one teacher that will help you kind of sort out your brain or the counselor at school that, that gives you space and kind of helps you, clean up your backpack once in a while, or like Mm -hmm. you just find that anchor and that can be, you know, a real key to the puzzle of resilience. Yeah. I have students that will meet with me once a week for all four years and they get to the point where they're, they're doing pretty good and they don't necessarily need another strategy or another resource, but that half hour is theirs. And so they'll come in and say, I need to check my email today. And they sit at the, you know, they, I'm at my desk and they're at the meeting table and we're checking our email together and that time is theirs. And you can find every campus will have people like that. And so you can find your person that can be the person that you can go do to ask anything, to talk about anything. Um, and that will give you time that is yours to do what you need to do and be accountable when you need to be accountable. Um, And so that's like the biggest thing is like, find your person. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you touched on something super interesting. And I think we both have that like advocacy gene in us. Mm -hmm. So um, earlier you mentioned that you had a pretty rough experience with accommodations. I definitely have two, like people accusing me of faking a disability. Like if, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can't see my feet Um, and there is that fear. So how do you help students navigate around when they're working on the self-acceptance, but then they're still like, oh, but I've had this grumpy teacher in the past, or I've had someone tell me that ADHD is fake. Like, how do we kind of overcome some of that like preemptive um, anxiety about it? Yeah, a lot. Uh, it, for us, it starts with one-on-one conversations with the students to really get at um you know, where that is coming from, what the, whether that was an experience or a perception, and then helping them to either um, alleviate their fears or connect them with somebody that can give them a positive experience. And so um, we get a lot of questions around who's going to see my documentation, who's going to know, and 
in, it's so different in college where you are in the driver's seat 100%. We are not allowed to notify anybody at all. So you send us documentation and then we review it and we meet with you and we talk about accommodations. And at that point, if you're like, no, I'm good and walk away, we will not tell anybody. We won't notify your faculty. We don't notify your advisor. We don't notify anybody. You are 100% in that driver's seat. And that is a big, I think that's a big hesitation for students is because they're coming in, they come from an environment where everybody knows you're pulled out of class maybe, or, you know, and your, your faculty, your teachers in high school, they know right away. And everybody's in that room talking about you. And in college, there is nothing about you without you. And so that really helps students. And then we can help them, like I said, get connected. So we have peers at Wesleyan that students can talk to. We have accessibility interns that are peer students that will answer questions peer to peer. Um, So they actually get real information from other students. We also have a couple of active student groups on campus that students can be involved in and talk with other students. And a lot of that can help alleviate it too, because once you hear about the experience that others have had and your fear about what might happen versus what other students have actually experienced can be really helpful. Um, Or connecting, you know, if a student comes in we always reassure them that they can come back to us anytime. And so, yeah, you have a faculty member who says, I don't know if I can do that. Or if they ask you anything inappropriate, what we tell students is a great response. A lot of faculty. So to back up just a little bit, (laughs) we, uh, our philosophy at Wesleyan is we give the student the power, completely give the student the power. So the students will come in, accommodations may look different course by course because a a course that has regularly scheduled exams versus a course that has discussion and papers a student has different needs for those different Mm -hmm. types of learning so accommodation letters are prepared for each class and the accommodations are specific to that class and the student is given the letters it's done electronically but they're the letters are provided to the student. They don't talk about the disability. They just talk about the accommodations just for that class. And then the student chooses when to share that information with the faculty. We really encourage it to be early on so that they can have a good conversation and talk about the semester and what it will look like for them. But students have that opportunity to say, I'm gonna wait and see a couple weeks how I feel before I do this. And they have that choice. Um, And so then when they talk with their faculty, sometimes a very well-meaning faculty will say, oh, this is great. What's going on? How else can I help you? And the student may feel pressured to share more than they want. And so what we tell students is a great response is to say, thank you so much for your care. I have had this conversation with Crystal Rose. This is what I need in your class. And if anything else comes up, I'll let you know, or you can contact her. And then students can be rest assured, I'm not sharing any additional information with the faculty. But it's a great way to show that the faculty usually is very well-meaning 
um, and they're not asking to be malicious or anything, but you want to acknowledge that without damaging that relationship. So like a thank you for your concern. This is actually what I need really does kind of draw that line for you to feel empowered to share what you want and not share what you don't want. Um, and that's a big piece. Like you are 100% in the driver's seat. I love it. Wow. And that's, that's so powerful again, kind of as propellant for your self-acceptance journey of like, you get these experiences where you've got somebody in your corner, you've got backup. If you have like Mm -hmm. have some sticky points with a professor, but you've also got the flexibility and the empowerment to decide when and if, Mm -hmm. and then it doesn't like out you as a person with a disability and you can choose to say like, yo, I got this brain. That's got this particular thing going on or not. If you're not ready. And that's really, wow. Wow. Yeah. And some students are willing to share more and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially with maybe our psychology faculty who maybe know a little bit more about learning with (laughs) some neurodiversity and that's okay too, but we don't do that for you. That is, that's you, that's you and your rights and your privacy and your, um, experience and your advocacy. And so that's, and we help students with those conversations, you know, we, so we have students who say, I really, maybe, especially our students on the spectrum, they want their faculty to know how they interact, what interaction looks like for them. And if it's their first time doing that by themselves, we'll coach them or we'll do a mock a conversation or sometimes we go and join the meeting or sometimes we go and just stand outside the office. <laughs> um, and so whatever the student needs to, to make that next step. Um, and that's what I mean about finding your person. For me, I did a lot of those steps, but the accommodations office wasn't my person. My person was that faculty mentor that I had. And so you can find your person and and help you with that process and help you make those advocacy steps. Um, Ideally, it's the accommodations office so that you're getting the support that you need. But if that's not the step you're comfortable with, you can find a step before that. So you want to find your person. (laughs) Well, and sometimes the accommodations office has like disability written outside of it in big letters. And that's Mm -hmm. like, that's rough as a teenager, young adult to walk in and be like, Hey, I have this thing. Like, and so sometimes that's even like a, um, repellent Mm -hmm. where you do need that intermediary. That's funny. You mentioned that too, because as I'm thinking back to my high school experience, um, my person was not the school counselor. He was like, there's nothing wrong with your body. I can't see anything wrong with you. I'm like, cool. So you can see my nerves. Okay. Um, And so, you know, like kind of accommodating me in terms of like what PE looked like for me, like I was in the middle of reconstructive surgeries. Yeah. It was a risk for me to do traditional PE, but then they like, it was a whole thing, Crystal Rose. But my point is the people that I found that were my people were actually two math teachers. Yes. That just always had my back and would listen. And, you know, I don't think it hurt that I was pretty good at math. So we had Mm -hmm. that in common, but yep. Um, you know, it, it was very interesting that the people that on paper probably should have been my advocates were almost adversaries. And then the people who were, you know, on paper, just academic ended up mm-hmm. being, um, 
you know, huge. So thank you to yes. Ms. Bellhorn and Ms. Maelo. They were, mm-hmm. they were incredible. <laughs> yeah. And finding your people is so important. Um, finding your peer group um, is important and finding your person on campus can help you to do that. Cause if you have somewhere that you can safely practice being yourself and with ADHD and executive function disorders and honestly coming to college is very taxing on executive functions whether or not it's a diagnosis or not it's just that time of life is really hard on executive functions and so finding a person that you can be comfortable around being yourself that's safe helps you to practice that to learn more about your brain and that helps you make friends ultimately because if I have a student that's comfortable you know, coming to my office when they're on the verge of an emotional breakdown and they just need to cry and they don't know why they're just feeling overwhelmed, but they know that my office is a safe place. They can practice that so that they can become comfortable being vulnerable in order to then make friends. And so that's just as important as all the academic support you get from that person. Right. Yeah. That's huge. And, um, you know, bridging to something really cool that you do, you help kids or kids, you help young adults, you help college students find assistive technology that supports them. I would love to hear about um, your, uh, like your top assistive tech things or how to like, how do you find what works for you? I mean, Jump in. I'm excited. My absolute favorite thing. I actually get to present at conferences on assistive technology for other schools and institutions, because for me, we look at accessibility and I look at accessibility beyond disability. And so we also look at socioeconomic status and things like that. Oftentimes they do go hand in hand. But we might have first gen, um, which is first generation students to go to college. We might have low income students. And so I want for assistive technology to be available to everybody. And so we look for free or low cost options. And so it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, and so at Wesleyan, I also get to have uh, the advantage of having other people on campus, my coworkers, who also support that initiative. So we have a couple of campus-wide programs that students can access. And so that's a tip also for students as they're searching for college is to ask what those type of things that are available on your campus, you know, are. And I'm going to go over some of the free ones that anybody would have access to because it's super exciting. Um, But for example, at Wesleyan, we have campus-wide licenses to pro a program called Beeline Reader, um, <gasps> which I know which Not changes up. the color. Crystal Hill, that, so, that's, that's yes. my buddy. Every student at Wesleyan, every fac- everybody at Wesleyan, faculty, staff, and students have access to, to Beeline. Beeline, yes, it's a, I'm, it's I'm, a campus-wide subscription. I was part of like like a little bit of like consultation for rolling that out. That's my yes. friend. The founder is like a good yes. friend of mine. And so I don't know if you're also if you also know about Census Access. I've no. been in contact with Nick. We're getting the Census Access integration. So Census Access is a Denmark company 
two people <laughs> that does file conversion. So it converts, you can take a picture with your phone and it converts it to readable text or and all kinds of file conversions. And so, yeah, Nick from Beeline and I have been talking with the Census Access folks to get Beeline integrated into Census Access as part of the conversion program so that students don't have to do two steps of converting a PDF and then using Beeline. They could just do it all at once. But so oh, Beeline is a game changer. And guys, <laughs> yes. Back several episodes. I have an interview with Nick on our podcast. So you can check that out. Um, and my blog and website of sarahkesty.com is all beeline readered yes, as yes. well. So it's super accessible. And, you mm -hmm. know, even if you don't have dyslexia or executive function issues, it speeds up your reading. So oh, we use it for, I mean, our international students use it a lot. Our faculty who are grading papers use it a lot. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have yes. to take a message so, small world. Yes, okay. We have I, a, yeah. So we have a site-wide license to Beeline and we have a site-wide license to Census Access. And what Census Access gives students the ability to do is convert files. So if a faculty sends them a PDF that's a picture, um, they can use census access to convert that to readable text. You can also, there's a lot of other conversions. I would say that's probably the one that gets used the most, but uh, it allows for independent um, conversion instead of students needing to send it to somebody or, you know, something like that. And so um, when I present to institutions and colleges, I talk to them about those two because cost-wise to benefit is, is huge. And so those are questions you wanna ask your institution or look around their website is, as a student there, what will you have access to? All of our students also have access to um, the full Google suite. And it's like the, the, not the free version, it's like the institutional version. And so um, they have access to additional tools through Google. They have access to um, download like the full Microsoft Office package and things like that. And so those are just technology things that you want to find out before you go. Like, what are some of those other perks of being a student at a school? <laughs> you have a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, that could be, a you know, if, you, if you're really close on deciding which institution is the right fit for you, look at those extra benefits. Um, and so some of the, uh, my two absolute favorite free things that are available to anybody, regardless, if you have, as, you, as long as you have access to some type of digital device, um, if you're using Chrome browser, which is free, and you open a Google Doc, and a Google account is free to open a Google Doc, there is a tool called voice typing. And so that's dictation. And if you're in Chrome browser using Google Docs, it is free. There's no training. All you have to do is give it permission to access your microphone. And so that dictation tool is available to everyone because Chrome is free and Google is free. And um, that is super fantastic. If you are someone like me who sketches things out by hand and then needs to put them into the computer, uh, I can dictate to Google and it will type out what I'm saying, including punctuation and things um, so that I'm not trying to type and look and type and look. Um, or if you're brainstorming and you're brainstorming out loud talking with somebody, 
you know, you can use the voice typing to capture what you're saying for your brainstorm. There's a lot of really good uses for it. So that's a fantastic one. The other one, can I, yeah, yeah, right there. Um, I will, I have a couple of screenshots of how to access that. And um, even in Google, no, not Google Docs, in Microsoft Word as well, it's called voice typing or something like that. They have different names, but like you look for the microphone. So um, I will post those in the show notes for listeners because I 100% agree. Sometimes like if you backwards and kind of zoom out on what writing is, it's Mm -hmm. expressing ideas in written form. Yeah. But there's no law that says it has to be via your fingers. Right. If the ideas are coming out of your brain, maybe they come out through your mouth instead and they get documented in a written way. Mm-hmm. And in this way, it's just um, having the computer type it and then you go back through and fix it up. Yep. But I have some students who hated writing, but loved talking. And so blending the mm-hmm. two was a game changer because, oh, I can just speak my essay. Yep. We're done avoiding writing, you know? Yep. Okay. Sorry. There, so number one. No, that's fine. Okay. I will say there are so many dictation tools. The reason I usually promote the Google Docs version is because everybody on any device can access it. Even your phone. Chrome mm-hmm. browser app is free on your phones. Um, and so, yes, there's also um, Mac computers have built-in dictation uh, Windows 10 computers have a speech recognition. Microsoft Word on Windows computers has um, a dictation option. Also, uh, something that is lesser known, but uh, at Wesleyan, again, one of our site-wide licenses is a upgraded version of a Zoom account. And so transcripts are included in that. And so a student's can get on Zoom and record themselves or record them and their friends talking and it will transcribe that. And the software that Zoom uses is Otter AI, which is another free dictation or transcription program. So there's so many out there and I encourage what my work with students and what I get really passionate about. um, I have three peer technology specialists who work with me that are students that help other students to access the technology. So our role is to help the student find the one that connects with their brain, right? So a student says, I want to learn dictation, and we show them the different options available to them based on their device and help them connect to the one that works best for their brain. So yeah, there's a lot of different ways out there. Um, And like I said, I usually promote the Google one because any device that connects to the internet has access to that. Um, and you don't have to worry about it. And then my other favorite thing is listening to readings. And there's a lot of programs that do that. Um, it is built into Mac computers. It is free. Natural Reader is a download for Windows computer that's really good. But one of my favorite that I have found um is Capti Voice. And Capti Voice is a free online account that anybody can sign up to use. And then you can put readings into it and it will read them to you. But you can also install a Chrome uh, browser extension and then it will read your web pages to you as well. Um, and then if you have an iOS device, it's not currently available on Android, but if you have an iPad or an iPhone or some type of iOS device, there's a companion app. And when you sign into your account, it kind of 
on your phone treats that reading like an mp3 and the voices are very natural and CAFTI does have a pro version that at Wesleyan students with a reading disability as an accommodation will upgrade their free account to the pro account the difference is the pro account lets you upload larger files instead of smaller files if you have the free account, you can break your large files into small chunks. It still works. And then the pro version, you can take notes right on the readings, which is why we use it for our students with reading disabilities. But I will say a lot of our athletes like to use the CAPTI app because they can listen to their readings while they're traveling for games uh, and not have to take their whole computer or their whole readings with them. And so um, CAPTI voice is definitely my favorite program for listening to readings, but there's a lot out there and it's helpful for so many ways. So there's just a couple of ways I'll touch on is you can listen to your reading while you're moving. And sometimes that's really helpful for folks with ADHD. Oh, like you can go for a walk and, you know, or at the gym and you're listening. And the comprehension is like through yes. the sometimes when your body is yeah. able to move. I have some students who will read the hard copy along with listening mm -hmm. and you know and it helps them to stay focused and stay on track and i will have some students who turn the sound off and you read on the computer using the the program but because the program highlights the sentence or word it keeps them on a pace but they don't necessarily need the voice they need the pacing there's so many ways to use these programs and there's so many programs out there. Um, and a couple of things I do want to mention is your Android phone will take a document and you can create a scan of that document using the Google Drive app. You go into Google Drive, click the plus sign, scan document. And on an iPhone, you can, in your notes app, scan a document. So if you have anything in hard copy that you want to get into digital form, for organization, for note-taking, for listening, your phones are scanners. <laughs> so you don't need to have access to fancy scanners either. Yeah, I know. That's it's such an uplifting thing. And I want to go backwards just a second because I can already feel a couple of grumbles in terms of people's brains, like sort of making make, making sense of, well, if I'm listening, that's not reading right? Like mm -hmm. how do you challenge that kind of limiting belief around having audio versions of texts? Yeah, that's really common. And the other common thing that we hear is when I, I have heard throughout, this is a quote from students, when I have heard throughout my life that taking notes on the computer means I'm not going to understand them as well as taking them by hand. Oh and my so gosh. It yeah. is. So my question is always, what's the end goal, right? What is the end goal of reading? Or what is the end goal of taking notes? And what is that end goal? Um, and our point A to point B looks different for everybody. And so if you can accomplish the goal, it is reading. When someone reads, very often they hear a voice, maybe it's their own voice, or maybe it's a character voice, but they hear the voice in their head. Sometimes we need a little bit of help hearing that voice, but it's still reading. And, you know, taking notes by hand, sometimes they're a little messy and then you go back and then you highlight, you're engaging with those notes. And so if you take notes on the computer, 
do you then say, Ooh, that was good and walk away? Or do you engage with those notes? It's all the same. It's how you get to the goal. So what's the goal and how can we help you get there in the way that works best for your brain? What I will say is the one argument, um, that has a little bit of validity, but we can still work with it within the realm of listening to texts is if you're in like an English literature class and your part of your analysis is like how the poem is written, like line by line or, you know, stanzas and things like that. All that means is that you have the copy in front of you while you're listening to it. Like you don't have to visually you can visually see how it's written while you're still listening to the reading. And mm-hmm. so that would be a case where you probably wouldn't want to use the app, you know, where you're listening on the go, but you still can listen while you're looking at the text and how it's written. So, yeah. yeah. And if you've got like a, let's say you've got an essay prompt, then you can kind of do double duty as, as you're listening, you're also hunting for quotes or examples. Mm-hmm. And so you can be, annotating the text while you're listening. And it's, you know, it's empowering you to kind of free up some of that working memory space because you're not working on just keeping your eyes moving line to line or, you know, the reading is so cognitively demanding. So pulling some of that Mm -hmm. out of your like struggle bus frees up space to then connect the learning and mindfully put it into memory and all that. And your annotation can be done orally using dictation. It's a great, you know, if you're really good at conversations, listening to your text and then talking out loud is like having a conversation with your text. With and the that's, author. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely an okay way to do it. Woof. Look at it. Look at you innovating. I love it. I love technology. Our goal is to help students find technology that helps them to work with their brain to be productive. We don't want technology to fight against you. We don't want it to be too distracting. We really have to hone that in. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, But ultimately, technology can improve our lives and make it more productive. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money or any money. Right. (laughs) Well, and it kind of it can augment some of the deficits that we see because of Mm -hmm. neurochemical differences. So right on. Yeah. Okay. I, gosh, this has been amazing. Crystal Rose. I'm so glad we connected, um, as a final bit for listeners, you know, what, what hopeful message do you have as people are approaching this new school year, high school, middle school, college, whatever. My gosh, hopeful message. What I always tell students is find number one, find your person. And I've said that a lot. It's super important. Number one, find your person. And number two, don't be judgmental of yourself as you're discovering yourself. That if you have that person you can be safe and comfortable with, that helps with the other aspect of not judging yourself as you explore and discover yourself. Something I have learned about myself in a work environment is silence lets me accomplish nothing. And so I have the TV on. I have some, I always, I I have a movie playing. I always have something on in the background and that's sort of counterintuitive, but in, you know, in college and through that process, I had a safe place to practice that and be like, wow, this really does work for me. I had a person that was a safe place for me to practice that. And 
now I know that about myself and I'm not judging myself because I should be studying in silence or I should be working without distractions. Like it really helps me to have some background noise. So number one is find your person. And number two is to be kind to yourself and non-judgmental as you're discovering yourself. And that person should be able to help you with that. That's wow. Awesome stuff. Oh my goodness. Crystal Rose, thank you for being here. This was amazing. So inspiring. And I've got new tools to test out. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you for listening to the Executive Function Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head over to sarahkesti.com where you'll find more resources and chances to connect with others. And please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. We're eager to transform the lives of even more families.